You know, as we turn our attention to Ephesians, one of the amazing things is that these Christians that we're going to study about this morning, before the Apostle Paul had ever come to the church at Ephesus, they were trapped in the darkness of pagan religion. Um, they were worshiping Artemis. They were, they were far away without God and without hope in the world. And then the good news came. Then the good news came. And that's what we want to meditate and reflect on in this marvelous text from Ephesians chapter 4. We're picking up the reading today in verse 25, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, you're speaking to us words of life today. Honeyed commands that are meant to guide and direct our paths and grow us more into the likeness of Jesus. Would you give us a love for your word right now and a receptivity to the power of the Holy Spirit as he comes to teach us from this word? Would we hear your very word, O Christ, and follow where you, the good shepherd, call? Come and meet with us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably heard the, the word or the phrase calling an audible. Um, I did something like that this week with regards to the Ephesians series. Not in the way you normally hear it, which is when, you know, Peyton Manning is under center, right? And he yells Omaha, and the play is adjusting on the fly. He's calling an audible. It's not exactly like that, but I did send an email to the staff uh, this week and just started with an apology. The apology was that you have to work with me. And I want to do something different than what I had planned for Sunday. Um, I had planned to preach this entire text to you. And it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of rich and wonderful commands here that we're going to get to. But as I studied more in depth this week and just pondered where the Lord had us as a congregation, where the Lord has us in this cultural moment in which he's called us to be salt and light, I thought... These five examples of instruction of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live faithfully in Christ, need more attention than one week. That in fact, we, they need so much attention that we 
would do well to spend a week on each of these instructions and to really kind of go deep into those instructions rather than survey them and move on to Ephesians chapter 5. So I just extended your series in Ephesians. Are you okay with that? I should have asked you, shouldn't I? I just extended your series for a month, by the way, in this series of Ephesians. But I knew, again, my own struggles in this is, is if I try to tackle this whole text, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get bogged down. And there's just so much richness here. And, and so what I want you to see really today is a little bit of the structure of this text. The, these, these verses, you saw how punchy they were, right, with these commands. You put away falsehood, speak the truth, be angry and do not sin. You know, all of these really punchy commands that are intended to talk to us about what it means to live out the Christian life. And, in, and I thought seeing just the context of this passage and then the structure of this passage will help us today and try to move right into verse 25. Just what does it mean that we've put away falsehood and we're called to speak the truth? What, is, what does that mean for us as a people of God? Uh, what, what is Paul instructing us in when he, he says that? And by slowing things down, it gives us a chance to apply these truths, um, to, to go deeper into them and kind of meddle in our own hearts a bit, um, thinking about what are the implications for what it is that the Apostle Paul is instructing us here in Ephesians chapter 4. And so that's really our, our plan today is to look over the organizational structure of this text and then to jump into what it means to speak uh, the truth. But I want to put it first for you just for a second in context. Why are we getting all of these commands? Like why, why did Paul at this point in this juncture in Ephesians start talking to us about commands? Because in the first three chapters and even inching into chapter 4, He's been telling us about the riches of the gospel. He's been talking about who we are in Christ. We've been in soaring in the heavenlies, hearing about the grace that is ours in Jesus. And it's been wonderful to uncover the richness of the doctrines of grace. That's really where the Lord has had us now for the last several months. And then he's pivoting here in chapter 4, and will be this way really to the end of the chapter or to the end of the book where he begins to instruct us in the imperative voice. He's now giving us commands. He's saying, in light of who it is that you are and what Christ has done for you, here's how you should live. Here's what I'm calling you to. Now, the scholars, when they look at Ephesians and they look at all of Paul's letters, they recognize a structure. And its structure is that in the first part of Paul's letters, he gives us what we call the doctrines or the indicative statements of truth. And that's what we've been studying. And in the latter half of the Apostle Paul's letter, he gives us what are called the imperatives or the commands. What does it mean now to live out who it is that you are in Christ Jesus? And we're entering that section, and almost all of the Apostle Paul's letters are structured that way. That'll help you as a reader when you're working through Philippians or Colossians or any of those letters to say, oh, he's moved into like telling me to do things. Why is he doing that? And why is he doing these particular commands? How do these relate to what it is that he said before? 
Well, last week, very helpfully, Pastor Tony worked through the section just previous to this, verses 17 to 24, and there was kind of a leading analogy that the Apostle Paul gave to describe the Christian life, and it's what we sometimes refer to as the clothing analogy. It's, it's the analogy of what it means to live the Christian life is that we're constantly putting off the old man, and we're putting on the new man. We're putting off the old self with all of its deceit, all of its deception, all of its fleshly desire. We're in the midst of the struggle, the battle of the Christian life of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. If you look, if you've actually got your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4, you can look back at verses 22 and 23 in the previous section, and you'll see that Paul uses that very language. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's not no longer who you are. And then in verse 23, put on the new self that is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if you hear that, okay, put off the old self, put on the new self. What does that mean practically? What specifically does that mean? Well, that's the verses we're in. Here's the beginning point of putting off. Having put away, it's actually the same word of putting off in the previous verse, in verse 22. Having put away falsehood, having put away falsehood. It's no longer, that's about your former manner of life. Here's how you live in the new life that's given to you in Christ. You speak the truth with one another. That's what you do. Notice he does the same thing in the next section. He says, be angry, but do not sin. Now, we're going to get a chance to be in that next, uh, well, not next week, actually. We have a a guest with us next week. But then the week after, we'll look at be angry and do not sin. Notice he doesn't say, don't be angry. That's interesting. He says, be angry and do not sin. So there's a kind of anger that's appropriate or righteous. But then in the midst of that righteous anger, we want to be sure to steer clear of sin. In the midst of doing that. So, so put on righteous anger, but put off unrighteous anger. Don't give an opportunity for the flesh. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Notice verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. That's your old manner of life. Don't put that off. But instead, put on labor doing honest work with your hands that you might have something to share with one another. Here's, what you, here's how you live now. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That's your former manner of life. Put that off. But who you are now in Christ, speak as that which is good for building up as fits the occasion. That's how we talk now. And verses 31 to 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's your former manner of life. Now be kind to one another, tender, forgiving one another as Christ as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see the pattern that, that Paul is in? He's following from where he's been. He, here's what you put off, and here, here's what you, you put on. So what we want to do in the text today is just talk about what does it mean to have put away, which is a different tense, have put away falsehood, and what does it mean to put on speaking the truth? What does that actually mean? What, what is Paul getting at in that? And so I want you to see... These three things that Paul tells us in verse 25. I want you to see the negative, having put away falsehood. That's the negative. I want you to see the positive. Let each one speak the truth with his neighbor. And I want you to see the reason for doing so, or the why, the motive 
for we are members of one another. That's why you should do this, for we are members of one another. So we're going to look at the negative, the positive, and the motive, okay, as we look at verse 25 together. And so I want to start with this negative, having put away falsehood. Now, I have to, I have to start here, right? Notice it's not put away falsehood. Later, he speaks in that tone, be angry and do not sin. Let no corrupt words come out of your mouth. Let all bitterness, right, do it right now. Here he says it in, a, in what the Greek would be in an aorist tense, a kind of past tense. Here's something you've already done. You've already put aside falsehood. So don't go back and live there. You've, ar- you've already done this having put away falsehood. It's, it's already done. There's something definitive that's happened in your life. Falsehood has been put away. That's true of the Christian. Now, what's also very interesting about that statement is that when you look at the Greek text, there's a slightly, we might say a, a slightly fuller and, and maybe, maybe richer implication that Paul means from the language having done away with all, all falsehood or having put away with all falsehood. That actually it could be translated having put away the falsehood. There's a definite article there. It could be translated, having put away the lie. The lie. Now that that leads scholars like John Stott and many others to ask the question, maybe Paul's not just talking about lies generally. Like some of you in here are like, I'm not a liar. This doesn't apply to me, right? You know, I'm, I'm always telling the truth. Well, he's not actually talking directly about that yet. He, he's getting at that, and he's going to get at that. But he's talking about the lie. You have put away the lie. You have put away the falsehood. Something very specific. Well, what is the falsehood and what is the lie that the Apostle Paul has in mind? Well, I want you to think about Romans 1 for a second. Romans chapter 1 for a second. You, you remember that section at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Romans where he's talking about the unbelieving heart. The person who's not yet met the Lord Jesus Christ, who's not been softened in grace and come into a relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, he says they have an unbelieving heart that is hardened in unrighteousness. And then you ask yourself, well, hmm, where did that unbelief and hardened heart in unrighteousness come from? And here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, those people have exchanged the truth for a lie. Those people are actually living life day in and day out with an understanding of life's existence that's actually a lie. They're living out of accord with reality, Paul is saying in Romans 1. And you might ask yourself, well, what was that lie that they exchanged the truth for? Well, he tells you. They are worshiping the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They have, in in other words, looked to the things of the world to give them only what God can give them. That's the lie. That's the fundamental problem of the world. This is the falsehood. This is the lie. Behind all of the lies, behind all of the fake news, 
behind all of the slants, behind all of the perspectives, behind all of the takes, behind all of the slippery words, there is the lie. There is an understanding of the world that people are living according to that is absolutely false. And that fundamental way of looking at the world is an idolatrous way of looking at the world. They've looked to the world rather than the creator of the world. They've looked to the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, Martin Luther, when he wrote on the Ten Commandments, said something extremely perceptive. We, We talked about this, those of you who participated were able to join us for our Ten Commandments series on Wednesday nights. I think it was back in the fall that we, we did the Ten Commandments together. We, we referenced Luther's treatise on the Ten Commandments then, when we went through it, in case you may have forgotten it, because that's been a little while. In that treatise on the Ten Commandments, Luther argues this. He argues that any time we break any of the commands... So thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. Anytime we break any of the commands, Luther says, you've already broken commandment one. You've already broken commandment one. Commandment one is always the first commandment that you ever break. Whenever you break any of the commandments. It's the most fundamental. Why is it first? Because it's the first commandment. It's it's foundational to all of the other commandments. There's actually no way to break any of the other commandments unless you have first broken commandment one. Now, where did Luther get that? Well, Luther, Luther looked at the nature of sin, but he looked even more fundamentally at the original sin. You remember in the Garden of Eden when Eve was tempted and Adam and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What ultimately led them to do that? Well, they listened to... A lie. And they bought it. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. Except you won't. In fact, you'll become less like Him than you already are, was the actual reality of the matter. But they thought the idea of being like God and knowing both good and evil, maybe He's holding out on us, Maybe if we eat of it, we'll get, we'll get what it is that we're really after. And they exchanged the truth for a lie. They looked to a created thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for what only the creator could give them. That's, that's fundamental to the, to, the, to the false story in Genesis chapter 3. And when Luther saw that, he said, you see, that the very foundation of the problem that's there in the world is a a fact of unbelief. We don't trust what God God has said to us. And we we believe the lie of the, the creature. In this case, we decided we will make the serpent God. We will follow him. We're going to follow the serpent. We're going to listen to his words. We're not going to listen to God's words. We're going to listen to the creature's words. His words are going to get us to where it is that we want to be. And then we realize... That we're naked and unashamed, we're ashamed, full of shame. We realize that we're exposed. The consequences of our sin begin to wreak havoc in our, in our lives. I've taken a little time over the last couple of weeks just to dip into both uh, two, two great heroes, one of which I'm, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Harry Reeder, who is a great mentor of mine, but also Dr. Timothy Keller, who recently went home to be with the Lord. 
dipping back into a few of their volumes, just giving thanks to the Lord for the way in which he's used uh, these men in the life of our denomination. And I, as I was studying this week on this, I couldn't help but go back to Counterfeit Gods. You remember Counterfeit Gods, one of Tim Keller's well-known works on idolatry. Uh, Keller says in that work, an idol is anything that's more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. There it is. Where you look to the creation or the creature for something that only God can give. Anything so central or essential to your life that should you lose it, you think your world is crumbling around you and life itself is not worth living. And and Keller goes through and lists a number of questions where he says, here's the reality of your heart and my human heart is all of the time we're wrestling with the belief that if we can just spend a little bit more time at the beach, right? The Sheridan family was just at the beach. If we could spend just another day, all of life would be great. If we could just get that house, we could just land that job. If, If we could just get over this sickness, if we could just get that relationship, everything is going to come together. Do you find that lie inside of you? Do you find that all of these things are just going to come together and you just go from one mirage to another mirage to another mirage? He says that's the heart of idolatry, you say. That's looking to the things of the world. Rather than as a gift from the Creator, we're looking to them to be for us a kind of Savior. A kind of rescue raft for the way in which we feel restless, unsatisfied, discontent in this world. Rather than looking to the creator, we look to the creation. And if you you begin to, to go very deep into your heart and mind, you'll find that that's the case. You'll find that that's that's the wrestle. And what what he's saying here is that you are a people, Christian, who's put away that falsehood. You have put away that lie. That is the lie, and you've put it away. That's no longer true of you. You know better by virtue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have news. That's what the gospel is. You have true news that is good for you. You have no reason to believe that lie anymore. Having put away falsehood, speak the truth. Don't fall into that lie. Don't fall into that lie anymore. Now, can you imagine how strong and important this would be for the people at, at Ephesus? Well, it's as strong as it would be for the people in Franklin and in Nashville. You know, every, every individual heart battles with struggles of idolatry, but every culture and community and city battles it. Do you know, do you know Nashville has idols? Did you know this? Do you know Franklin has idols? Idols of affluence, idols of comfort, uh, idols of happy, shiny people. We have all kinds of idols that are all around us that culture feeds to us. And you and I tend to think, if I could just get X, which the Joneses have. No offense to the Joneses in here. But if I could just have X, then things are going to be okay. The lie. Cultures have lies. Ephesus had lies. Ephesus was known for the temple of Artemis, one of the greatest wonders of the ancient world. People came from all around to worship in Ephesus. When Paul arrives there in Acts chapter 19, he, through his preaching of the gospel, 
causes, we might say, in a way of speaking, a riot. A riot because the craftsman, Demetrius, got so upset by the preaching of the gospel that people were being converted and they quit buying silver statues of Artemis. And that hit the bottom line of their pocketbook. And it was turning their culture upside down. And we begin to say, oh, a riot's breaking out because the economy's dipping. Well, that sounds familiar. Because when you begin to upset people's idols, they get really angry. Ephesus was dealing with that. These Christians were dealing with that reality. Now they're being persecuted. Now they're being attacked as a church. They're having to be tested with regards to just how much do you believe this stuff about Jesus? Are you willing to hold on to him no matter what if it takes your lovely, upwardly mobile, great Ephesus dream life away? Are you willing to follow him? Speak the truth to each other. Having put away the lie. You don't have to believe this lie, you see. You've been freed from this lie. Speak the truth to one another. You see how applicable this is? You see why it is that we need to spend a little time in these instructions? Because we have, we have a culture around us, we have a heart within us has a hard time staying put in the truth. That's prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to believe the last podcast I heard. Notice his anecdote here in the way in which he actually instructs the, the kind of elixir of instruction against falsehood is we've got to be a people who speak the truth to each other. N notice he says, speak the truth. He doesn't say, it's implied, but I just want you to know he doesn't say it. He doesn't say, be committed to the truth. Doesn't say, Memorize the catechism. That's good. It's wonderful. He doesn't say have your doctrine correct. He's going to say that other places. I'm not playing that down. That's just not what he says. He says speak the truth. Now, of course, if you're going to speak the truth, you've got to believe the truth. <laughs> you've got to be committed to the truth. But some of us sometimes think it's enough to just be committed and stay nicely quiet about it. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, speak the truth. Speak the truth with each other. And the language that he uses here is language not of the formal proclamation of the word, like the word like we're doing here this morning where we're hearing a sermon. This is obviously included in terms of speaking the truth, but that's not the point. Notice it's eat, let each one speak the truth to one another. Speak the truth to their neighbor. Who is this neighbor? For we are all members of one another. It's the body of Christ. It means that all of us have a speaking truth role to play within the body of, of Christ to help each other stay free from the falsehood we've already dispelled. We're already done with. But you will find probably five minutes after this message, you'll immediately be attracted to again. You've got to keep speaking the truth to one another. Now, now, you know how important this is, isn't it? 
I mean, I had this happen two weeks ago where I was, I was in one of those, you know, moments of, you know, mental and emotional turmoil, you know, where I'm doubting life and existence and, and whatever because so many things are coming. And I just, you know, need a moment for someone to speak the truth to me. Not that I didn't know it, you understand. I actually am prone to preach it. But I needed to hear it from someone. And as soon as I heard it from someone over the phone, it was different. They ministered the truth to me. They ministered the truth to me. Do you see? That's what you, and I, that's what you need. That's what I need. We need to be about in our home fellowship groups, in our men's and women's Bible studies, in our youth group, in our conversations in these aisleways and around in our property, in each other's homes. And we need to be listening for ways in which we can invite someone to be speaking the truth into our lives and be open to the guidance and the direction that that truth will give to our lives. Do you see, a lot of us are walking around, right, with varieties of of falsehoods. I wish I had time to go into the varieties of falsehoods, but let me name three that come to mind. There are doctrinal falsehoods where we truly are out of accord with the Scriptures. And that's existing in our minds and our hearts right now at varying levels in this room. But I'll tell you other kind of falsehoods are false kind of promises that we believe. Or false expectations we believe. It was just about a month ago, I was talking to a parent who had talked about raising their children in a certain way, and, and it didn't go as planned. Anybody have that story? It raised their children a certain way and had expectation that if we did everything this way, it was all going to work out. Now, there's some general principles, but they took some half-truths and made them a whole truth and had a broken heart because of it. Had a question regarding God's faithfulness. There are all kinds of different things that are going on that are, that are, that are, that are falsehoods. They're not the lie. But there's lies, there's falsehoods mixed in, half-truths taken as whole truths, expectations and promises that are teased out in a way that we think will look exactly like this. How many of you are prone to say, well, I think God's plan will work out like this? You ever prone to do that? Sure you are. And, and we'll do it this way. God has promised this in his word, therefore it will be like this. And we're, we're right in probably some universal, eternal way. But what we actually are talking about is our immediate temporal expectations, which are not the eternal promises, by the way. And we'll confuse those two. Mixes a falsehood. What would, it, what would it look like to be a congregation that's regularly listening and sharing honestly from one another so that, hear this, the falsehoods can really bubble out and receive the truth right where it's needed, right? 
receive the truth right where it's needed. I, w- I would tell you that's when you're opened up to the truth, when you learn to confess the areas where you have misunderstood it, where you have misapplied it or misappropriated it. And don't you often find there's shame there, there's embarrassment there, there's frustration, there's heartache there. But as soon as you share it, there's a place in your heart that opens up to be able to hear the truth and to find that solid rock on which to stand. Because the question here we've asked is, what is the lie that's being spoken? Well, what is the truth? I mean, is it the truth that the sun rose this morning? Right? Is it true that the grass is green? There's a lot of different truths in the world. What truth is he talking about here? Well, throughout the book of Ephesians, what has been the truth that he's been telling us? The gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been telling us the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the previous section, he refers to the truth that is in Jesus. The truth that is in Jesus When we begin to understand who Christ is, we come back to that place as we lead each other to it, and we find a solid place on which to stand. You see, when you hear the truth of Jesus, you know what it helps you do? It helps you acknowledge and repent of and put off your idolatry. That's what it helps you do. You know, as soon as you begin to realize, oh, in my parenting, I thought if I just did everything right, everything would turn out Fine. Oh, so you thought that you had the power to control a soul through technique or your perfections. There might be a few things in the Bible that would speak against that. When I put it that way, it's so clear. But why is it we walk around with that in our minds? Or why is it maybe that the reason you wouldn't sign up to go to the SGI lunch on Tuesday is that you're just really not sure how to speak with people who are different than you, and there's no way that the Lord could use you in this capacity. And so in fear, you're going to not, not go or not volunteer or not serve. The Bible has a few truths to speak to you. It has a few truths to speak to you, because there's a lot of lies bubbling around in your heart and your head there, right? That sounds really, really relevant. We could do this all day long. They're all over the place. Uh, Let me apply it to Nate real quick. What if this sermon is terrible? What if at the end of this, you want to fire me? I lose my family. We've got to live on the streets. And like, you know, I I can be weird like that and go down that fear train. But what if this was about Jesus and about caring for others and about serving in the way he's called? What if it's not about a sermon that I treat like an idol? Oh, so you can actually sin in church. (laughs) You'd be surprised. Some of the greatest battles you will find with idolatry will be in the midst of doing the things that you are called to do in the heart of the Lord's work. We need to hear the testimony of the gospel because it exposes idolatry. And it leads us away to put it off. And you know what it does? It welcomes us to put on Jesus. It welcomes us to put on Jesus. Now, what would it mean to put on Jesus? Well, very quickly. It would mean to believe that Jesus is the truth made flesh. He is the word made flesh. Who came 
under attack in the wilderness by the evil one, of whom Adam and Eve listened to his lies and fell, Jesus resisted his lies by doing what? Speaking the truth to him. Not listening to his lies. Speaking the truth to him. And resisting the evil one on the behalf of you, his people. So that he would be a faithful, constant one who never fell into the lie of the world and always was faithful in speaking the truth. To know that Jesus. That's what we, we need to put on that Christ and the hope of that Christ. And that that very Christ, when he lived his perfect life, would come before Pontius Pilate. And Jesus, in one very clear statement, tells us in John chapter 18 what his purpose for being born was. Would you like to know what his purpose for being born was? Here's what Jesus says. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Sounds like a pretty important statement. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's why he came. That's why he came. He came that you would listen to him. Now it's a beautiful, actually, mirror because do you remember at Jesus' baptism when the Spirit fell upon him and the Father speaks from heaven? What does the Father say? This is my beloved Son. And what does he say to us? Listen to him. He came to speak the truth. He came to bear witness to the truth. And do you know what? On the cross, he has died for all of your and my living according to falsehoods. He died for it. That's shame that even right now you might feel. Nate, name some things that are true of me today. Those falsehoods are really within in me. Jesus died for that if you have trusted in him. That's no longer on your record. The one who is the truth made flesh, the one who has come to bear witness to the truth, the one, he died for all of your falsehoods. And then he overcame them in the resurrection and he has given you truth and life in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that your record now in him is that you are a truth-telling people. Having put away falsehood, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Do you see, when you begin to believe the gospel, you know what begins to happen? People who've lived by lies become, become people who tell the truth and live by truth. Let's be, by God's grace, those people and walk worthy of this Savior who has saved us from falsehood and has given us the ministry of speaking truth. Father in heaven, would you come and would you meet us in just that way, building us up in the truth, giving us the life and the light that is ours in Christ today, Help us in every way, both individually and corporately, to put off idolatry and to put on Christ, who has died for all of our idolatry and falsehoods and has risen to everlasting life that every knee would bow and every tongue would speak the truth that he is Lord. Would you speak that truth so clearly and transformatively right now in our hearts that the light of your glorious grace would guide our each and every step. Come and meet with us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.